Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Uh, I'm usually not over here. I'm usually over in our contemporary worship service. It's good to be with y'all here this morning. I was excluded from the clergy golf team, for those of you who are wondering. <laughs> Apparently, uh, swinging the golf club like a baseball bat is not uh, how you're supposed to do it. Uh, we were at Top Golf the other day, and I was atrocious. It was, it was pathetic, and it was sad, and it was just sort of reaffirmation. That's, that's not my calling from the Lord. All is well, though. Uh, we were at New Room Conference this past week in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a, a really great time of renewal and prayer. We had most of our clergy team and a lot of our staff go up there. It was just a really, really great time. And so I, I feel like I'm coming back with a lot of fire in my belly. So hopefully, hopefully that, that just comes through because, man, I'm just so excited for the Lord this morning for y'all. We are at, right at the end of our sermon series called Pursuing Perfection. The graphic is up on the screen. We've been looking at these different ways which culture calls us to be perfect. These different ways that oftentimes we expect our lives to look like this cover of a 1950s Reader's Digest that we need to have all this perfect family on the outside, a wife with two kids, got to have the right house with the right car and the right job, and that everything on the outside needs to look perfectly. And we've been looking how the call of our faith and the call of Christ and the call of Christianity is to be different from this perfection that the world is calling us to pursue. Because I'm sure as many of you know that we have people in our lives who their lives are perfect on the outside, but inwardly they are wasting away and dying. And we looked at what does Jesus call for us to do? What is the role of the church and how God calls us to what we call sanctification or as or as I've heard it called, the second half of the gospel, that we have been justified in the Lord and we are going to live out our salvation, to work it out that Jesus didn't just come to save us from hell so that we can go to heaven, but Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly. We call that life abundantly sanctification or holiness. And so how do we live into that sanctified and holy life? And so we've spent this sermon series talking about the different ways that God calls us into holiness, and today we're going to be looking at what is the mechanism that God primarily uses to make us holy, to make us sanctified, to make us like his son through the power of the Holy Spirit. He does it through community. He does it through community with one another. Our scripture passage is going to be in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 through 47. Hear the word of the Lord, friends. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Friends, I think this scripture points out that as we pursue community, that we are a people who have a devotion problem. We are a people who have a devotion problem. If you look at this scripture, you see what the early church was devoted to. It says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to each other, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship to each other, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. We see the priorities of the early church, and the characteristics of the early church was one of devotion to the things of the Lord. This word devotion, it's only used 10 times in the New Testament, but we see it used six of those 10 times in the book of Acts itself, that devotion or commitment or this all-inness to the gospel was what was characterized the early church. It characterized their mission, it characterized their hearts, that they were sold out for the gospel and they were sold out for Jesus, of this life that is given over to one another, of a life that is given to each other in the community of faith and given over to Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, friends, when I read the book of Acts, I I can't help but see a church that was, and then I look up and I see the church that is. For all my life, I've, I've wondered, what are we going to get back to this ideal early church, the way in which the Holy Spirit was mightily poured out on these people, and the results that came from it? I think we see the results, but we, we see the problem of our devotion. So often, we would rather devote ourselves to the things of the world than to Jesus. We'd rather devote ourselves to the world than to Jesus rather devote ourselves to the world than to each other. See, we're, we're beings who are fearful. We're fearful of being fully known in community with one another, and that's holding us back from being fully devoted to one another. And this fear of being fully known is, is an age-old issue. It's one, of the, it's one of the immediate consequences of sin in the fall. The result of sin and our lack of desiring to be known. If we go back to the book of Genesis, it says right immediately after the fall, Genesis 3, starting in verse 6. Scripture says this, The woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, And suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. They felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. Because I was naked. And the Lord replied, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? See, Adam and Eve in Eden, they fully knew each other, that their nakedness was sort of an expression of being fully known and a lack of shame before one another. And then after the fall, that because of their sin, what's the very first thing that they do? They eat the fruit, and then it says they realize that they were naked. 
They realized that they were exposed. They realized that they were fully known, and they felt great shame at being fully known by each other. So they immediately covered themselves up. Who told you you were naked, God said. Who told you that being fully known by someone else was sinful and wrong and shameful? Who told you that you were naked? We see this great problem of sin and the great problem of shame and how we are people who don't, who don't want to be fully known just like Adam and Eve after the fall. John Wesley thought, that this was one of the results of the fall, that before the fall, we fully knew one another. But then after the fall, there was this great cloud of darkness that overcame our minds, and we couldn't fully know each other, and that caused great fear and panic and shame. And we see this effect on our daily lives. We have a distrust of others. We're fearful of others. We're people who want to hide our sin and our shame from those around us. And so we, we put on our figurative fake clothes. We put on a nice smile. We put on a happy face. And inwardly, we are dying. Inwardly, we are wasting away while we hide the deep parts of ourselves that we are deeply and profoundly ashamed of. So if that's the problem... We are people who have a devotion problem because of our sin, because of our shame. God's solution is to restore what was broken. That God's solution is to restore Eden. That we see in the book of Acts, we see this God who recreates what was, who restores and recreates the broken, that in this opening chapter, or the second chapter of Acts, we see that God is restoring this community of faith, that they were devoting themselves to one another. They were fully giving themselves over to each other like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. That there's this undoing effect, there's this undoing of sin and shame that the gospel power has in our lives. And they devoted themselves to this because of the power of the Holy Spirit that overcame them. That God drew them deeper to one another and drew them deeper into faith with him. We see in this passage that God is calling us by the power of his Holy Spirit to live a different life than the world around us. This book of Acts, these, these few verses that we see, this is, a, this is an odd way to live. I mean, we read this today, and we kind of try to explain it away. Oh, that was just for the early church. We're, we kind of do things differently over there, but that's for them. This is not for us. But what if this was for us? What if we were people who fully devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures, fully devoted ourselves to fellowship, to one another, to being in community Koinonia, that Greek word of being in the body of Christ and devoting ourselves to one another. Devoting ourselves to fellowship. That this is what characterized the early church, this profound love of God and this profound love of neighbor. In other words, holiness of being like God. Practically how that works out is we need to be people to rediscover a raw honesty with one another about the nature of our souls. You know, when we come to church on Sunday morning, what is it we, what is it we do? We put on our Sunday best, right? You put on your best clothes. You make sure that you look really nice because that's what we do when we go to church. We put on our Sunday best. 
What if we flipped the paradigm around and we said, what if when I go to church on Sunday morning, I bring who I really am? I don't have to put on my Sunday best. I don't have to put on my best clothes. I don't have to pretend like everything is fine on the outside and inwardly I'm dying and inwardly I'm wasting away and inwardly all I desperately want is for someone to just cry with me and weep with me and just give me a hug. We're so desperate for a life like that that we make ourselves look nice for church. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. share with you all before my struggles with my anxiety, and I remember there was this one point that it was really bad. This is probably about a year and a half ago, or two years ago, right before I got here. Uh, I was really, really struggling, and there was a group of friends that I had in Lexington, and we had a kind of a game night, a board game night, where we would every Monday go and play board games, which, by the way, if you want to play board games, I like to play board games. <laughs> just, a, just a quick little plug right there. Um, so we would go over every night, but this night I was really, really struggling, and so I got there, and I said, hey, guys, I'm not, I'm not doing okay. And so we scratched the board game night and we spent the next two hours praying over me, talking with me, crying with me, weeping with me, and they, they showed and exposed the lies that I had come to believe about God that were the root of my anxiety, that I could not see myself. And I had that community that just surrounded me and let me be real and vulnerable and honest, that they devoted themselves to me as the early church devoted themselves to one another, that they prayed for me, surrounded me, and loved me, and exposed the darkness that I was bearing alone. Because if we are going to be the church, we are going to pursue perfection, pursue holiness and sanctification that God will undo the shame of the garden. God will undo the shame of the garden. Let's read again from the book of Acts, this vision that God has for the church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved that this is the vision of community that God wants for us. We have become content with shallow community. We've become content with a shallow community. We've become content with hiding behind our fig leaves, with sitting in the darkness while inwardly our lives are festering and fading away. Outwardly, we put on smiles, we try to show our strength, and inwardly, we are dying. 
But the call of Christ here is this call here in the book of Acts to deeper community because that's a reflection of who God is. That this community of the Trinity, this eternal community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit giving to one another, giving of themselves to one another in this mutual indwelling, this mutual loving community is the eternal reality of the universe. And this eternity that we are called into is one of participating in that divine fellowship. That that is our future, that that is our promise of what one day it will look like, and we can have that here and now because that is what Jesus invites us to participate in now. Because that is salvation. We look at this vision of community in the book of Acts, and we often say, I don't, I don't want that. I want to keep my stuff to myself. I want to keep my secrets to myself. That, Friends, we have become comfortable We have become comfortable with the lie that Christianity is all about coming to church once a Sunday or once a month and saying a blessing over our meal. We become comfortable with that lie. We see here in the book of Acts a vision of a different way of living, a vision of a different community, a different way of living into the holiness that God wants for us. That their lives were different because they had encountered a risen Jesus. Because they had seen the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in their presence. And they said, how can I not pursue this God who has done so much for me? How can I not be all in for this? And their lives were transformed. That we have become content with our shallowness. But Christ doesn't want that for us. What's interesting is this, this takes place right after a mass conversion. So this is right after Peter's Pentecost message where he says, you are the ones who crucified Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. And it says 3,000 were added to their number daily. And then before God made the church go wider, he made them go deeper. That's so often what we want is we want the church to grow wider. We want more people in the pews. We want more people in the seats. We want more, 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 yet we're unwilling to go deeper. But we see that the way of Christ, that the way in which he does it in his early churches, he draws them deeper into himself, and then as a result of being profoundly set on fire by God, he then brings more people into their midst. That God wants to take us deeper before we go wider. And this deeper community that God calls us to pursue is attractive to the world. This deeper community that God calls us to is attractive to the world. Erica uh, was a missionary kid. She was in Uganda for a few months before she went to college. And she said in Uganda what they would do is the churches would blare music as loud as they could. Because it was all outdoors. They didn't have a lot of AC. They would blast music as loud as they could, where Erica said you could hear it from blocks away. And they thought, this is how we're going to get people to come to church. If we just make our music super loud, people will be like, what's that loud music? And they'll just wander over, and that's how we'll get people to the church. It's this attractional model. And friends, we, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We hope that if our music is the best, if our preaching is the best, if our building is the best, then people will just naturally flock to our doors. But that's not why people come to the church. That's not what's attractive about us. 
That's not what God says is attractive about us. Because when they look at the church, they don't look at our building or our music or our preaching. They look at the community and say, is this a community that I want to be a part of? Are they living differently from everyone around them, or are they just like everyone else? Too often, the church looks so much like the world, rank with discord, divided over simple things like, are we masking or not masking? Are political disagreements tearing us apart? Are the way that we treat each other and talk with each other characterized not by the gentleness of Christ, but by the harshness of the world? We see this vision here in Acts that they were devoted to one another, devoted to prayer, devoted to communion and fellowship, devoted to the scriptures, and what were the results? Miraculous signs and wonders, miracles, healings, the sharing of their very lives. They met together and there was great joy and gladness and all of the Lord came over them and it says that they had the favor of all the people. At New Room, I heard this illustration from one of the preachers. Uh, her name is Tara Beth Leach. She's a pastor up in Chicago. She told this story about how when she was a youth pastor in New York, she was unsure whether she wanted to have a family or not. Her, husband had, her and her husband had been married for a bit, and she was just out walking her dog in a, kind of a New York fall day, and she says that she came across this house and this landscape that looked just like a Thomas Kincaid painting, just like this perfect picturesque country house. And she said she looked inside and noticed that there were lights, and so she peered into the window and saw that it was a family gathered around a table laughing and enjoying each other's company and just so filled with joy. And she said, when I looked into the house, I remember praying to God, Lord, if I'm going to have a family, I want it to look like that. And she then made the leap that that is what people do with the church. That they don't care about how the building looks. They don't care about our music. They don't care about the preaching. They look inside and they say, does it look like a community that is devoted to one another? That is loving one another. That is different from one another. That is different from the world in which I am living. That is offering a vision of the way that we can live that is different from the reality that I see around me. Are we living into this call of holiness and sanctification for the transformation of the world? That this holiness and sanctification can only be done together. John Wesley famously said, there is no holiness outside of social holiness. What he means by that is we can't do this alone. You cannot be holy alone. So the question then is how do we do this? We pursue perfection together. We pursue perfection together. We've talked about uh, the discipleship bands, as you all seen earlier. Uh, that's kind of our big launching point. So we'll have, you may have seen these up uh, in the lobby area. They're kind of a, a placard about how to run a discipleship band. And these discipleship bands formed the backbone of Wesley's awakening and revival. That it was people who said, I am going to be devoted to God. I'm going to be devoted to one another. These have been around for 300 years, and they are effective, and they are true because it's the reflection of how the early church did it. That these have been transformative in my life. They've been transformative in Erica's life because they really nail down the Christian life. Each week, what we'll do is we'll ask three questions of one, or five questions 
versus how is it with your soul? What's the state of your, your inward life? Second is where are your struggles and successes? The third, how is the Spirit and Scripture speaking into your life? And then here's where the real transformation happens. The, th- the fourth, do you have any sin that you want to confess? And the fifth one, are there any secret or hidden things in your heart that you desire to share? Because the reality, if we're going to pursue holiness and perfection, we can't keep our Sunday best on. We have to have this raw honesty with each other. We have these guidelines in place for how to run a discipleship band because we need, you all need to know that it's a safe place to be fully known by others, that there's confidentiality, confession of sin, and forgiveness of sins. And we didn't just come up with this sermon just so I could plug discipleship bands. Just wanted to make that clear. Rather, this is an opportunity to go deeper into this gospel life that Scripture has shown us how to do. I have a few scriptures to show to you about the purpose of community. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. James 5, 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James makes this distinct connection between confession of sin and the healing of our souls. So often we want the healing without the confession, but James makes it clear it is through confession of sins that we are healed. So I'm going to put the QR code up on the screen. If you want to just leave it up while I'm talking, I've just got one more story and then I'll have Matt come on up. If you desire to join a discipleship band, we'll have physical sign-ups on your way out. There'll be one on your way out. There'll be one on the... uh, welcome desk area. So if you want help finding a band, let us know. Or if you know two to three other people to be in a discipleship band with, just go and ask them. Say, hey, I really would like to pursue holiness with you. I want to pursue Christ with you and let him transform us. So I'm going to close with this story. Uh, My life fell apart when I was an undergrad. I'll tell you all the full story one of these days. But In that moment when my life fell apart and everything around me was filled with darkness, I remember I was just sitting there weeping on the soccer fields and I was alone and I called my friend Thomas and I said, Thomas, I just just need you to come be with me. So this is like midnight, so it's like super late, or I guess it was early for a college kid. So Thomas came with me and it's this damp, cold, fall night in Arkansas, and I just, I just wept in his arms for 30 minutes, and I just confessed all my sin to him. I just got all this junk that was rotting on the inside, and I just wept in his arms for 30 minutes. And my path to healing was in that deep, raw, vulnerable fellowship with one another, because that is the way that Christ does it in our lives. This profound Christian community that says, we will walk together in the rubble of your life and light candles of hope in the midst of the darkness. We will hold on tightly as Christ holds on to us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit.